Now, I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking, they just wheeled one of our pastors in on a stretcher. This guy is committed to preaching the Word of God, right? Stay with me for a minute. Open your Word to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And I promise it'll all make sense in just a moment. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And when he had entered Capernaum, again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does he speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And right away, Jesus understood in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your stretcher and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately, he got up, he picked up the stretcher, and went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. You know, we often read a story like this, and we marvel at the miracle that Jesus performed in healing this man, and rightly so. However, I think it's really easy to miss the first miracle that occurred in this story. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'd like to begin by focusing on verses 2 through 4. They're going to put it up here on the screen for us. It says, So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. That would be Jesus. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they broke through the roof. You guys know the rest of the story. They lower him down through there, and Jesus heals the man. But it's easy to read through these scenes and miss something really important. Can you imagine the scene? You're there. You got there on time, you're in the building, Jesus is teaching, the room is dark, it's quiet. All of a sudden, a loud crash, light pours into the room, and they lower this man down through the ceiling. It probably wouldn't be a church service you'd soon forget. Can you imagine how risky this is for these men? I mean, these guys were determined to get their friend to Jesus. We don't know from the scripture how far they carried him, but we know that these guys carried him 
some distance. It could have been two blocks. It could have been two miles. But they carried their friend. We know that they showed up late. I mean, you think it's awkward showing up late to church. I mean, imagine if you show up late and then decide to chop a hole in the ceiling and lower your friend down through it. But maybe they figured, but we're bringing a friend to church so we can get away with it, right? So they come, they drop him off, but they would not be denied. You know, our Williamson County uh, first responders, they brought this here. Lieutenant Gillum came this morning and brought this as a visual aid for us this Sunday. And uh, they're really underrated people. You never really think about them until you're a desperate need for their services. And so if you get a chance to thank the lieutenant, do so before you leave today. I'm sure you'll be able to spot him. He's the man with the big red ambulance outside. But they do this, and they use these tools every week because they know that we need help. They know where to get that help. And they're determined to help us. Some of them even feel like this is their duty. This is their calling in life. And these four men in this story must have felt similarly. They must have felt, we're going to do whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus this morning. He's not going to miss church. We're bringing him. If we have to carry him, and chop a hole in the roof and lower him down. Imagine what, that, what must have been going through their mind. And let me ask all of us a question. When was the last time you were willing to do something risky and go out of your way to guide someone to the healing power of Christ? When was the last time that burden was so strong in your heart that you were going to share the gospel with them or you were going to invite them to your home or you were going to invite them to come to, to your community group or you were going to invite them to come to church on Sunday morning where you said, I'm willing to go the extra mile. You know, as Christians, we have the greatest cure for the greatest sickness the world has ever known. And that sickness is sin. And that cure is Jesus Christ. We have him. The question is, are we going to apply his prescription for reaching the world? Because he hasn't changed his mind. God's plan to save the world is still the church. We know for a fact, without these four friends, this man would not have made it to church that morning. We know for a fact that he wouldn't have been healed. He would have been stuck at home. And we wouldn't have even probably read his story if these four people wouldn't have done something miraculous, and that is do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. Don't miss the miracle of community found in the first part of the story. Biblical community makes miracles possible. It's in the midst of God's people mixing it up with Jesus and the Holy Spirit that miracles occur. And that's important because as Americans, we tend to pull away from community. You know what I mean by that? You can even see it in the way that neighborhoods are designed. It used to be when neighborhoods were designed, there was a small backyard, there was a large front yard, and there was always a porch. And people would always sit on their front porch and talk to people as they passed by. And somewhere along the way, that turned into garage door openers, small front yards, 
large, privacy-fenced backyards. And we don't know the people around us. Why did that happen? I think it happened because as Americans, guys, we are, we're, we're pretty highly individualistic as a society. Now, that can be good and that can be bad. The bad thing about it that is that we tend to focus on ourselves. If we're honest, we tend to focus on ourselves. We're one of the loneliest generations in recent history. And that's really ironic because when you think about all the different ways that we have to connect to one another and talk to one another and friend each other on Facebook and Skype, I mean, the list goes on and on. And yet, though we have a thousand and one surface-level relationships or acquaintances, study after study after study says people are more lonely and they have fewer deep lasting friendships than ever before in human history. Now that's a problem. We're going to talk more about why that's a problem this morning. Real relationships are messy. Acquaintances are a lot more convenient. But real relationships are worth it. God designed you for those relationships. Charlie talked about that last week. God designed us for it. And that's the only relationships that are ever going to offer lasting fulfillment. Our acquaintances simply won't. You know, godly community requires our time. And I would argue in our society, that's the single most expensive commodity that we have. It's our time. And you're not going to find time for godly community. Your world and all the different things that we're involved in will swallow up every minute of every day. If you don't carve out time ahead of time and say, this is reserved for godly community. I'm going to live in godly community. So we have to learn to, and you guys have heard this, we have to learn to say no to good things. Because most of the stuff that we're involved in is good things. Most of you guys aren't bank robbers, right? We've got to say no to good things sometimes in order to say yes to great things. Because every time we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else because we don't have extra time in our schedules. I'm going to invite one of my friends up. His name's JT. A lot of you guys know him. And he's going to share about how community groups have affected his life, how living in godly community has been a real blessing to him. And so I'd like to just hear from JT's point of view. Hello. Um, yeah, so one of the nights at community group, I, you know, we were talking about the parable of the sower. And more specifically, we were talking about the seed that gets sown among the thorns. And uh, that really stuck out to me. As you know, as the story goes on, uh, the thorns choked up the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, they kept it from bringing forth fruit. And I was thinking about that as I was driving home that night. And I thought, you know, I I read the word. I go to church. I hear the word. But, you know, the medical bills or the mortgage payment, they choke it up. And, you know, working hard at my job, work, work longer, harder, trying to get that next promotion. And it gets choked up. And 
you know, my, my plans and, and what I want, they're all in the wrong place. Um, and I realized that night driving home that my identity was, was in my work. And now I was, I was unfruitful, you know. And I knew that things needed to change instead of my identity being my work. It, still, it needed to be in Christ. JT, if you could say anything to the folks this morning here who are maybe kind of on the fence about a community group and they haven't invested in that yet, but they're thinking about it, what would you say to them? We know later after that, I I called some friends, Stephen and Jeremiah, and we talked about, you know, the parable of the sower and, and how it applies. And, you know, without community group, I wouldn't have had anybody to call. Um, They're there for you. They'll help you grow. They can't, they can't make your relationship with God better. Only you can do that, but they can encourage you and they can hold you accountable. And, uh, you know, I know my life, my family, we are a direct result of what God can do in community groups. That's all right. Thanks, JT. Take it back. Okay. All right, so why is it that though we try to stuff things into our lives, that we still feel like oftentimes we have a hole that's in our souls? A lot of times that happens because we're trying to live outside of the environment that God had planned for us to live in. It's our spiritual environment that he planned for us. You know, if you take us and you fly us in a helicopter out of the Gulf of Mexico and drop us in the water, a lot of us can swim for a while. A lot of us can tread water. We can try to make headway towards the shore. The fact remains, we were not designed to live like that. We certainly can't thrive like that. We were designed for a different environment, and our spiritual environment is the same way. God designed us for community. Again, Charlie talked about that last week. We're busy, we're tired, we're empty. So many people share that same story over and over again. And to fill up that emptiness in us, we'll pursue wealth, prosperity, popularity, success, the American dream, beauty, hobbies, our kids' sports, anything to try to make us feel whole. But they can never cure that real ache in our souls. Only the community of God will do that because that's the only thing that was designed to do that. You see, when we move away from God's community, the move away from God is never far behind. I'll say that again. When we move away from God's community, the move away from God is never far behind. When that happens, our hearts become hardened slowly over time. We build up calluses on our hearts. We don't feel the loss of our spiritual community as keenly anymore. We don't, and pretty soon we don't feel the loss of connection with our Heavenly Father that much anymore. But that ache remains. And when that happens, it just gets us in this deadly cycle of we, we sought these other things to fill us up, but then it didn't work. And so we feel empty 
And so we figure, well, we just need more of that stuff. And so we go back to it to fill that same hole. And over and over again, this goes on. While we're missing the very thing that God has designed us for, this biblical community. And our hearts become paralyzed in this cycle. We can't feel anything anymore. Your second point this morning is that we're paralyzed with selfishness. We're paralyzed with selfishness. Now, the man in this story that we read about, he was really paralyzed. He was, there was no way he was getting to God that morning by himself. He was laid out on his stretcher. Now, most of us here this morning, we don't have a problem being physically paralyzed, but our, like we just said, our hearts are paralyzed. And selfishness, the thing that causes that spiritual numbness, it's never fulfilling. It's never fulfilling. Let me read you a couple quotes here. This first one says, Quit praying about yourself and spend your life for the sake of others as a bondservant of Jesus. That is the true meaning of being broken bread and poured out wine in real life. That's Oswald Chambers from the early 19th century. You know, he's basically saying a lot of times we, we, we feel so bad about things because we're constantly looking to ourselves and our own situation. But if we'll stop doing that and we'll start pouring into others, it's amazing the joy and the fulfillment that will start to come into our life. Okay? How about another one? This one's a little bit more recent. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you giving to others? From Dr. Martin Luther King. And this last one says, you get what you give. You get what you give. And that one comes from the deep, great philosophers of the Zac Brown Band. You get what you give. Sometimes pouring into others fills us up. And we stop looking at ourselves and our own situations. And so biblical community gives us an opportunity to pour into others as well. You know, the great irony of self-absorption is that the feast of selfishness only leaves you empty. The more we seek to pour into ourselves, the bigger the hole will grow inside of our soul. And God designed us for that deep connection. And the only relationships that are going to really help you grow as men and women of God are your relationships with other men and women of God. God's plan for salvation and sanctification has always included two powerful forces. Jesus Christ and the church. It's kind of a package deal. You don't get to choose just one. I'm, a, I'm saddened and I'm amazed at how many times I hear people, Christians of many years professing to know the Lord, and they say, man, I love Jesus. I just don't want to be with his kids. I don't want to go to church. I love Jesus, but I'm not crazy about his bride, the church. And God hasn't changed his mind on that. You, you husbands in the room, how do you feel about someone that walks up to you and goes, man, I really like hanging out with you. I can't stand your wife, man. So is it cool if we can just hang out, but can I just totally avoid her? I want nothing to do with her. How do you feel? As a husband, aren't you, aren't you saddened? No, it's a package deal. If we want Jesus... We have to want his church too. That's the way that he planned it. It's the way he's 
designed it, and we need both. That's what we can't forget. We need both. Without biblical community, guys, I can make you a few promises. Without biblical community, you will not grow. You will not be fulfilled. And you will not live out your God-given mission and potential. It's that important. You, you got to have it. And as we read from Mark today, that community is going to be the one to carry you when you need it. Community will carry you to Jesus when you need to be healed. I know I could probably speak for everyone in this room when I say there's been some hard times that I wouldn't have made it through if I didn't have those deep, meaningful friendships. Sometimes things just happen to us and, and we have no control over it. You know, life happens. And it can rip our hearts out. And it's at those times, I want you to ask yourself, who, who is there for you in those dark hours? We've talked before about who is your 2 a.m. friend? Who is the person that will be upset that you don't call them at 2 a.m. when things fall apart? When they'll say, you should have called. I would have been there for you. You've got to invest in those deep relationships. You have to invest in them. It's so important. Who knows you deep enough to wade into those really sticky, personal, embarrassing situations? Because you're going to need those biblical friends to carry you during those times. Not unlike those four friends carried that man that morning. You know, if you go to the West Coast, I've always wanted to see them in person. I haven't seen them yet. Surely some of y'all have been to the Redwood Forest in California and in Oregon. If you go there, I've only seen the photos. If you go there, you see these huge, massive, proud castles of a tree towering into the sky. And you can't help but look at those and say, there's no way this stuff just happened. Simply looking at that forest, you get the impression there's a God somewhere. They give glory to God by simply being what they are. Interesting note about what most people don't know about redwoods is that for all their height and girth, redwoods actually have a very shallow root system. In fact, so much so that if you were to take a seed from a redwood and plant it out in the middle of a field all by itself... It would grow and grow and grow, and then it would fall over at the first strong wind that came. Its roots would rip out of the ground, and it would crash. Firewood. That's all it would be good for. You see, the way that they're designed to grow is their seeds fall closely to each other in the forest, in the community of these redwood trees. And those roots from each tree interlock with each other. And if you could see it underground, it looks like a big patchwork quilt woven together. And when the storms come, they support each other and keep each other from falling. You and I are just like that. We need each other. And let me tell you, the best time to invest in those type of friendships, the best time to put down roots with other people is, is not when the storm comes, because then it's too late. It's long before that. And you stay committed, locked with each other. 
Your last point this morning is that community will also carry you to Jesus when you need to be warned. Community will carry you to Jesus when you need to be warned. See, sometimes life is painful, and it is your fault. (laughs) Sometimes life is painful because you just made a poor decision. I mean, have you ever looked back on your life? Now, now, I know I'm not the only one. You look back on your life and you say this, this phrase, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Right? I've got a few graphics to show you here. First, look at this one. Like, he just figured that was a good, a good place to sleep in the intake of that jet engine there. Uh, you guys ever go out on like a winter morning and you start your car and there was like a, a, a stray cat sleeping in the engine of your car? Yeah, you get the picture, right? Or how about this next one here? A couple guys decided, let's dress up like a zebra. This is a great idea. Let's dress up like a zebra and let's go play with Simba and Nala. Right? Not a good idea. Bad idea. Where were their friends to warn them? And then this last one. It kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? You go to the tattoo shop to get a tattoo that says no regret, and you end up getting one on the back of your arm that says no regret. No regret. I wonder if he did have regrets after this, that he didn't have a friend standing behind him going, wait a second, this doesn't look right here. Let's, let's fix this. No regrets. Wouldn't it be nice to live life with no regrets? Interesting thing about this story, and it's easy to miss if you look at verse 5 from Mark chapter 2. This man came to Jesus, and he was interested in physical healing. But if you look at verse 5, what happens? Jesus said, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't heal him. He said, your sins are forgiven. You know, you might be here this morning and had all kinds of reasons for coming, but let me tell you the only reason why Jesus is interested in having you here this morning. Jesus wants to heal your heart before anything else happens. He wants to get you right with the Father. That's his number one goal. And we seek him for so many other things. We, we seek the gifts instead of seeking the gift giver so many times, don't we? But community will help point you back to Jesus when you're going the wrong way. When you're headed down a path that looks like it's going to lead you somewhere terrible, you need a friend to say, don't go that way. And listen, I'm just like anybody else. I don't like somebody coming to me and telling me they think what I'm doing is wrong. It never feels good, right? It never feels good. It doesn't matter how nice they say it, it always stings when somebody says, I think you're making a mistake. Don't do this. But if you don't have people in your life to love you deeply enough to risk making you upset and come to you and say, don't go that way. You're cheating yourself out of one of the greatest treasures on planet Earth. People who love you enough to be honest with you and to lift you up in prayer and to hold you accountable when necessary. I'm telling you, if you don't have that, 
find that. And one of the best places to find it is in a community group. A godly community will let you know when you've drifted too far into danger. Let's look at Psalm 141, verse 4 and verse 5. It says, Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil, so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it, for my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. So the psalm writer says, I don't want to go do these evil things. And if a righteous man comes along and sees me headed that way and says, don't do that. He even says he could strike him and say, don't do that. He would say he wouldn't refuse it. He'd say, you're right. When one of your brothers and sisters comes to you to hold you accountable, ask yourself this question. Not how offended am I, but ask yourself, is there any truth in what this person is saying? It'll go a long way for you. It really will. Cherish those people who are close enough to you to speak into your life like that. So as we sum up today, let me ask you two questions. Who's carrying you? And who are you carrying? Do you have people in your life to carry you? Now there are people in your life that you've earned such a deep place in their life that they would let you carry them. At River Rock, we really believe in community groups. This is, that's what this whole series is about, is kind of summing up this push for community groups in the fall. Because we believe they really are the best vehicle to help grow your faith and mature you, that whole process of discipleship. And that's our goal. Discipleship. We want you and we want ourselves to grow and be challenged to grow. And no one has ever been discipled flying solo. No one. Everybody needs somebody to help them. So if you look on the back of your connection card, I want you to look on the back there, and there's a section that talks about community groups. Got a little box that says, I'm interested in community groups. Let me just implore you, if you are not in a community group yet, check that box today. What do you got to lose? We'll follow up with you. We'll make a recommendation on a group for you to plug into and get started. You'll find it's one of the biggest blessings of your life, just like JT was sharing. Sunday mornings are a good start, but they will only go so far. The chances of you being discipled on a Sunday morning are very, very small. But when you get in those one-on-one conversations and begin to live life as men and women of God together, that's where discipleship will occur, if you let it, if you let it. Listen, some of you guys don't attend a group because you've been hurt by other Christians in the past. Heck, some people don't even come to church because they've been hurt by other Christians. Welcome. Welcome to the group that's been hurt. Welcome to the group that has done the hurting. It's one of the most beautiful things about the body of Christ. That we can be hurt and forgive one another. That we can hurt others and be convicted in, in our spirits and go to them and ask for forgiveness and still stay together. Instead of taking our toys and going home and separating. Don't pull back because you're scared, because you've been hurt. Plug in, hang on, forgive, and dive in. Grow. 
Some of you haven't joined a community group because you've just never really been challenged to do so. Well, you can leave here today and you, you could honestly say, I won't join a, join a community group, but you won't be able to leave here today and say, I can't join a community group. Let me be the first to invite you, to challenge you. Step up to the stretcher. We'll carry you. We'll carry you to community. We'll carry you to Jesus. And maybe one day, you can help carry somebody else too. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with my brothers and sisters this morning. Thank you for the grace you've afforded us all. Father, I pray that we would remember that your plan for us today is to go and be the family of God, a tall group of Christian redwoods that the world looks at and says, there is a God in heaven, and I believe it belongs to this group, and his name is Jesus. May the way that we love each other show the world that we are your disciples. God, speak to our hearts today. If we're too busy, God, help us open up our calendar and give you first dibs and plan the rest of our life around that. God, if we're too scared, give us courage and bravery to step into community. God, if we've been hurt, maybe we're angry or we're bitter, God, help us to forgive and help us to remember that we've been forgiven of so much. Help us to offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us and press back into community. We love you, Father. Help us to be the family that you designed us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.